Welcome back to the True Craft Podcast. The craft industry is no stranger to extreme sports. And if you ask me, I think breweries and extreme sports go hand in hand. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks this. With skateboarders, mountain bikers, rock climbers, all finding their place in breweries across the country, the parallels are everywhere. From the dedication it takes to learn a new trick, to the ingenuity it takes to build and maintain your equipment, to the supportive and collaborative community that surrounds extreme sports. Again, there's just so many parallels. And that's why we're thrilled to bring you our guest for today, Zach Caramanta from Gnarly Barley Brewing Company out of Hammond, Louisiana. We talk about Zach's love for biking and his recent bike trips, how he successfully blended his passion for skateboarding with his brewery, along with some practical tips on preventative maintenance. All right, season four, episode four. Let's get into the episode. Staring at that canning line really lit a fire in us. Beers for everyone in society. In my opinion, the world's greatest social uniter. There's no time in my life that I didn't think, oh, this would be a good time for a beer. Love on each other. What's up, man? What's going on? Zach Caramanta, Gnarly Barley Brewing Company, Hammond, Louisiana. <laughs> wow, so animated. Yeah, buddy, what's up? Were you in radio before? No, I just sound very good when it comes, because of my rig. I got a good rig. Because ah, you definitely got a face for it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a face for radio. <laughs> I want to start by talking about your recent bike adventure. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, basically, the story is starts with just, uh, you know, the woes of owning a brewery is that you don't necessarily get to go on vacation when you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, my, uh, my family uh, recently decided that we're uh, my parents, they, they rent a condo in Destin, which, um, is about four and a half, five hours away from where we're at. Um, and they've been doing that every, uh, Thanksgiving. So, uh, this year, um, we had some issues with the packaging line. So I had a, uh, as normal could not make it on time. So I sent the wife and the kids, uh, off to, uh, stay with my family and talk and get it sorted out and then head up there, head over there, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, uh, figured it was a good opportunity instead of driving a separate, uh, truck or car, I'd go ahead and take my bike. Uh, it's really, uh, it's an enduro bike. So it's really not meant for long road travel, but it seemed like a nice little challenge. So, uh, after a couple of days of them being up there, I jumped on it, lo- loaded up the luggage and, uh, and headed over that way. What's an enduro bike? It's basically easy way to explain it. It's a street legal dirt bike. So okay. we, uh, Big old nubby tires. Yeah, big nubby tires. Um, it's a KTM 690 uh, Enduro R. Um, this is the actual bike itself, but they're they're kind of a cross between an adventure bike and a dirt bike. Uh, so you can load them down with some luggage and and, and haul out. But you're into bikes though, like you're that's your jam. Like your daughter has a dirt bike, right? <laughs> yeah. So my uh, she just turned six recently, but. Uh, yeah, for her sixth birthday, which we bought it about six months early. So she's had a little, uh, Yamaha 50 CC dirt bike. Um, it's definitely something that, uh, it's fun to go ride, but, um, I think she's more into it because dad's got a bike. So, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's, it's something cool for her to do. Um, Dude, yeah, I just, 
I just taught my five-year-old how to ride a bicycle. <laughs> well, we're still working on on some of the balance stuff, so it's uh it's a little it's a little sketchy. She's run into a couple of things. Uh, fortunately, we gear her up. Uh, she did hit the side of the house um, a while back. Oh, jeez! Uh, but no actual injuries. She usually laughs it off and keeps going. Is fifty cc's like like my only experience with cc's is Mario Kart? I'm going to be honest with you, but I would <laughs> imagine fifty cc's are is pretty powerful. Um, for, yeah, for a, you know, a 30 pound child, uh, I think I, I probably topped it out myself on it going about 30 miles an hour, but oh, um, okay. it's governed back. So she can't, uh, she can't go too fast. I got, I got some control on it. Um, but no, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's something cool for us to do on the weekends and get away to, out of the house and, and go ride. Um, so, so how long did it take you to ride from Hammond to Destin? Well, you know, fortunately, it wasn't too cold. It was a little cold, but um, I, I stayed on the way over there. I stayed off of interstates and uh, took about seven hours, 40 minutes, about eight hours um, riding time, which is uh, the longest I've done single ride for sure. Usually I just ride it. Basically, I, I drive the streets just to get to the trails around mm-hmm. locally. So don't really take trips on it. Um, so it, was, uh, it wasn't bad. It was a really good ride. Uh, clear my mind, you know, uh, especially after dealing with some, uh, you know, mechanical issues at the brewery. Uh, it's nice to kind of get out on the road and, 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 and really focus on what you're doing as opposed to everything else in life. Right. So it's definitely a good mind clear when you're mm-hmm. riding that bike, especially when you're on the trails, it's, there's only really, you can only focus on what's in front of you immediately in front of you, not, uh, metaphorically in front of you. Right. So right. it's good. It's good to clear the mind. Um, so I've, I've picked it up. I've, I'm, you know, I'm an old skateboarder. I've been skating for a long time and uh, things are getting a little harder as I've approached. I'm almost I'm 40 this year, but uh, the old bones are, uh, are not letting me do the things that I used to do anymore. So this is something right. that's kind of, kind of filled a little bit of that, uh, that hole. And, and when I was riding really aggressive, skating really aggressive at least. So it's been nice. I've been enjoying it. Tell me about your skating background because when I met you, you told you mentioned that you had a skating background. Did you were you ever pro or? No, no. I mean, um, you know, it wasn't ever for me. Uh, it was kind of like always something in my life that was to just get away, right? So I did uh, play, uh, you know, conventional sports as well, but mm-hmm. uh, skateboarding was kind of like the one thing that I was never pushed to do it was kind of my own thing and then as i got into my later teens my early 20s it became just therapy for me uh yeah it helped me get through a lot of time where i didn't know where what direction i was going in but i knew that i needed to pay rent and keep you know and and make sure that i was going in the in the right direction in my personal life so i could continue skating like i was and i was you know uh skating a lot, uh, building ramps. I, I got, I got involved in nonprofit organization. Uh, one of the founding members of a nonprofit organization that helped build skate parks and some uh, communities here in the, uh, in the Southern Louisiana area, um, uh, which we're still, you know, a big part of what we're doing now. I just met with some guys that are putting a park out in Ruston, uh, North, good bit North of here, but it, it just, it became, uh, really like that one constant that, I could push myself, but it was, it was just me. There was no reason to push myself. There was no real re- reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the excitement of learning new things and progression. Um, and that's something that, 
I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the most competitive person, but I'm, I'm internally competitive. Like I want to always progress and get better. Yeah. And with, with the lack of anything like that in my life, uh, I've followed, probably find myself kind of getting lost a little bit. So that's why that was such a big part of my life because it allowed me to progress. And, and the culture itself is just so awesome. Um, it's just right. such a, 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 a welcoming culture. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's just some, didn't y'all open a state of the art skate park in the last two years in Hammond? So Hammond, uh, our park's quite a bit older than that. Um, there's a, a park in, uh, really the big, the big thing going on right now is there's a park in New Orleans, um, that, uh, is a 100% DIY park. So basically the community, the skating community came together and said, there's this land that's not being used for anything. Uh, it's in a pretty rough area. We're going to start building some ramps there, you know, small scale. And it got to the point where they started actually coming out pouring concrete, uh, until the, the, uh, the city got to the point where they said, you know what, we're going to basically sanction this is designate this as a actual skate park for the oh, city. Cool. Um, and it's just grown tremendously. Um, it's got a really big support. I mean, the, the area has, has improved, uh, the neighborhood around there takes care of the park, which is really cool. Um, you know, I was out there not that long ago and, and on a really a rainy off day. And it was really neat seeing the old woman that lived down the street, walking over there and picking up trash and just taking care of the park because they're actually people that are non-skaters are actually seeing the benefit it brings to the city and to that, that neighborhood, um, which is really great to see because historically uh, communities like to kind of shy away from skate parks. They think right. of the vagrants and the bad things that happen there, but really in the reality of it is, is that things that happen that are bad at skate parks is because cities build skate parks in areas that already are crime ridden, right? They don't pick the nice, beautiful piece of land in the middle of the park to build a skate park because, you know, that's just the way things work. And, and yeah, you're going to have riffraff. You're going to have some of those issues if you put a, a park in the midst of where those issues already were. Um, so, the, the skaters actually kind of push that element out and, and create a more safe environment uh, because they don't want to be looking over their shoulder while they're skating and meeting with their friends and trying to progress. So it's been a really cool movement over there. Um, a lot of people involved uh, have kind of the original guys that kind of got it going um, have some of them are still involved. It's definitely still involved, but it's, it's been kind of going to a second generation, which is really neat to see because I mean, let's be honest, even though it was a quick generation, but let's be honest, I mean, a lot of companies don't last the second generation, but to see these skaters really embrace it and uh, for no pay at all, just take care of this park. I mean, they're basically maintaining a public park in the city of New Orleans with with zero help from the city. Um, So that's that's pretty impressive to see. And uh, it's actually pushed us to uh, start helping to fundraise for them. Um, So we're uh, we have a new flagship beer released and a portion of the sales uh go to uh currently help that park it's going to be a bigger initiative that's going to be more statewide uh in the future but right now we're really focused on that park and getting some things done that that they're really pushing for so yeah it's a a really rewarding uh community it's been rewarding in my life to be skating i mean obviously the brewery is uh very uh skate branded um so it's definitely you know it's it's something that's been very near and dear to me 
and you know, it's, it's, it's something that will always be a part of my life. And I'm happy that I get to brew beer in a facility that embraces that world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool thing. I mean, I think any entrepreneur wants to be able to marry their passion and their business. And you've done a a very, very good job of that. And I, I commend you. I remember when we first met a lot of your, you were hosting a lot of events at the brewery where you would bring in skaters. I don't know if they were parties or fundraisers, but yeah, keeping true to what your, your history is, is just amazing. Cause I think some entrepreneurs can get caught up in the day to day of the business and forget about their past, forget about their family. And then it kind of consumes them then the burnout. So kudos yeah. to you, man. It's great. No. Yeah. But very fortunate to be, you know, cause you know, brewing beer was also a hobby of mine and, and it was a passion. And so to like bring two of those things together, you know, one as the product and then one as, you know, as the theme and the marketing and the branding. And then, you know, we, we actually, in the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to have a local board company and start selling and have like a little board shop in here as well. Oh, cool. Uh, just to kind of, you know, really kind of bring those things even more together, but it's really cool. Cause I mean, I always wanted to open a skate shop and it just never panned out. So, you know, being able to, I mean, be very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to be able to do not only one of my passions, but incorporate two of them into the same, into the same business has been awesome. But definitely it, 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 it staves off the burnout quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, shit, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I had a, you know, mini ramp in my garage, half pipe for those who don't understand what a mini ramp is, but half pipe in my garage. And I had a beer brewing kit built right next to it. So it was basically looking back at my garage, I've, I've turned it into a warehouse now. Yeah. yeah. And now I get to, to do what I was doing uh, 10, 15 years ago, just for fun. So yeah, definitely fortunate. Count the blessings. Yep. What were you doing before you open the brewery because one thing I admire about you is you know how to fix shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can take a paperclip, a toothpick and a roll of scotch tape and get a car, get a car rolling again, get, get a broken down car rolling again. Like what were you doing uh, that you can MacGyver your whole fucking brewery. I know your brewery's not MacGyvered, but I mean, I, we'll get into the story about the the hurricane in a minute. But Jesus, dude, what were you doing before? So um, it's kind of funny because professionally, I never had a job where I worked for somebody that did really anything construction, mechanical. Um, but it was always a part of what I did as hobbies on the side or or made money as side gigs. But, um, when, uh, when I was a little kid, you know, what my grandpa used to, I'd, I'd go over to their house and he'd watch me and my brother. And, uh, and he was always working and building something and he'd give us a hammer and nails. And then we'd build, you know, little boats that we'd pull through the ditch. And then it turned into building little remote control cars. And then it turned into building, you know, whatever we could, uh, which eventually turned into, um, me taking shop class every semester, taking welding in high school, you know, uh and your high school offered welding yeah we had uh so in high school (laughs) i uh i took in what all at the same time i would take i would take wood shop i would take uh welding and i would take agriculture and learn how to uh 
cultivate plants. Um, didn't really pay attention in the plant side. I'm terrible at, at growing crops, but what yeah. I can do is I can weld and, <laughs> and I can, uh, and I can uh, cut on the table saw pretty good. So, um, then when I, you know, it always was fascinating to me that watching the, the older shop kids like build their own trailers and stuff. And I was just like, damn, you can, I, I can't buy this trailer that I need for my four wheeler or whatever, mm-hmm. but I can build it. That's amazing to me, you know? So I was really fascinated with that. Um, and, uh, and so it just kind of always stuck with me to the point where I started building ramps. So then the skating and, and I realized I had a knack for something that a lot of people in the skate world need is someone to build ramps and build skate parks and build these kind of things. Um, so I realized I had a, a talent. I mean, I was a passionate skater. I wasn't going pro, but at least I can build stuff and then share that with other people, create these obstacles. And then we could all skate them. And, uh, and that, that became uh, a pretty big driver. Uh, and then so on, I went, got back into welding, uh, started building brewing systems, small brewing systems. Um, I did have one of them, uh, make a magazine, uh, and brew your own magazine. Uh, it was a, one of the dream systems, uh, built it for, uh, another guy. And then he submitted it, which I was pretty proud of that, that, and made it into the magazine, but just always building out of necessity to, you know, and that, that's really one of the things that, that drew me to brewing itself is because home brewers are such crafty people and they, you know, that they can build all this cool stuff. And there's so many ways you can brew beer and there's so many different types of equipment you can make. So that was, it was really fascinating that I could brew all these, you know, different chillers and cr- create all these, uh, these different brew houses and styles uh, and then make beer out of it. So, um, I'll say my last homebrew system that I built, um, it's, it's kind of wild, but the day that I realized I completed it and it was ready to be brewed on, I almost like got a little depressed because <laughs> I've, been, I've been working on it for months and I'm like, wait, it's, it's complete. Now I can't work on it anymore. I just got to make beer on it, which sounds bad, but <laughs> that's how much I like the, uh, the, you know, the, the tinkering side of things. So the outlet well, here now commercial, like professionally has been mm-hmm. amazing because I get to continue to tinker and, and, uh, and work on that kind of stuff. So that's, that's a big part of, I guess what like kind of my therapy here now is, is, uh, is, is still continuing to, to do those kinds of things. So most breweries, when they have a mechanical failure, they're stopped, they're shut down. If the canning line goes down or if the chiller goes down, or if the brew house needs some maintenance or repairing, they got to wait for the boiler dude to show up or the whoever. I don't even know who the vendors are that come in and fix this stuff. Like, you, can you at least diagnose and get it back up and running? Anything in the brew house? That's probably um, the most important part of the skills is not being able to necessarily fix everything. But, you know, the time is very important, especially when you got, you know, you're laundering and you got, you know, or you've done laundering and you got, a, you know, you got a mash ton full and then you got a kettle full. And, and here you are, you got, you know, 90 barrels of beer and you got to either send it over or you're screwed. So got to get that boiler back up and running as soon as possible. Well, a lot of times, if you diagnose it, the issues are very minor. It might just be uh, a short notes and a wire or whatnot. So a lot of the, the guys, they'll, vendors, they'll talk to you on the phone and be like, hey, you just need to, you know, replace this wire or whatnot. So it turns into not only being up and running quicker, but also not even paying anybody for that visit to come out, which saves a fortune, especially when you're a startup, you know, it, it, those dollars are vital, the time and dollars are vital. Um, and then, you know, when, when we get into some of the larger projects and you do have to do mechanical overhauls or things like that, 
Um, I have definitely, I thought I knew what I was doing uh, eight years ago when mm-hmm. we were building this place. But um, fortunately, I've had enough people around me to really teach me a lot of technical things on, on uh, a lot of this equipment and also other staff members, uh, you know, that are mechanically inclined. Uh, and here being here in the, in the South, you know, there's a lot of people that have been working in plants and whatnot. So there's a lot of information at my fingertips. Um, and fortunately I, I <laughs> wish I had a better memory about some things, but I absorbed that kind of information very well. Yeah. Uh, so that's been, I, I think vital in getting through some tough times early on. Um, and, and, uh, and vital to the success and be able to put that money into, you know, growth as opposed to just maintaining equipment. Um, time down uh also just you know extending the life of equipment people don't think about your pms you know preventative maintenance is it's what keeps you from being down mm-hmm. it's a pain in the ass because when you got to take a gearbox apart to just to grease it and you're like well it sounds fine everything's running fine well it's a pain in the butt to, to do all that work but what it does do you later on it's not something you can really measure you can't measure well that would have went out you know a year from now or whatnot you don't really reap those benefits as obvious but that alone, I think, is something that's overlooked. Probably one of the most overlooked things in our industry. Smaller breweries, you know, it's a lot of people that aren't around plants. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're, I mean, we're a small plant, you know. Right. Um, fortunately, around here, we have massive plants to look up to, you know, uh, with the industry in, in South Louisiana. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the most overlooked things because uh, the dollars and the time down from you know not doing proper preventative maintenance and not being able to handle some of those minor issues on your own um that's i think one of the biggest issues that i've seen in this industry is where people struggle the most not to put you on the spot but what would you tell the listeners would be the most important preventative maintenance measure that they should be doing once a month once a quarter on a specific piece of equipment I would say your number one thing is your chiller. Your, your glycol chiller um, is, you know, especially if you're in warmer climates, but there's, you know, you won't, until you have one go down, you won't realize what kind of stress that puts on the brewery. I mean, you obviously you're not going to be knocking out any beer, mm-hmm. you know, so that shuts down your brew house. It shuts down uh, all, all, you know, you, first thing you're going to think of is what's happening with my fermentations. Right. But then you can't package beer, it starts warming up. It warms up two or three degrees. You're not packaging beer. So that is basically your chiller is like not having power. And right. when your chiller goes down, you're down. You're not, you know, there's not, there's not much you can do. Um, I started out with a very cheap chiller. Uh, it, it got us through. Um, there was definitely issues. It was a plague of stress. Uh, you know, now we have redundancy. So if you can afford redundancy, you know, don't buy that 50 horse, buy a dual 25, have redundancy, any, any redundancy you can afford in your chiller, uh, you really need to have extra pumps, especially right now with the way things are, um, it could be six weeks on a pump lead time, you know, have an extra process pump or no, or have someone who can, has the skills to modify, to get you running again. But that's, you know, and, and talking to other breweries, I think that's been probably the one thing that people have come to me the most about um, other local breweries that I've talked to when they're needing help. Um, proper piping with your glycol chiller will save you a ton of energy. And we can, you know, getting into more technical stuff. There's a whole lot of things with the piping to so all that stuff, your, your mixture, 
um, your power, uh, making sure that you're monitoring the power coming into those large pieces of equipment. But just to, to sim- simplify them as much as possible, maintaining your chiller, always be paying attention to it. If it offers uh, any kind of um, any kind of uh, monitoring, uh, offsite monitoring, where it's reporting somewhere what's happening, mine actually comes to my phone. So it updates me constantly. Sometimes it does seem like I don't need all these updates and maybe it's a little extra stressful, but it helps me sleep at night for sure. But I know what's going on with my chiller at all times. Yeah. So the, the hurricane blew through, no power. You scored a generator and had the brewery back up and running in how, how soon? Uh, it was like a, it was, let's see, we had, so a, the day after, basically it was a scramble. We had, we had, pre-planned i had pre-planned and, and and reached out to three companies that were supposed to have a rental available for me um first day after the storm picked up the phone i said what's the deal and they're you know like look everything is way worse than we ever expected we have shipments of generators coming in um from all over the country but uh we don't know we can't guarantee anything we don't know what's going to happen it's uh it's pretty much worst case scenario. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not getting a rental. What am I going to do? So, you know, you kind of soak for a minute and soak for a minute and, and think, all right, what are we going to do? It's kind of out of my hands now. Definitely drank a bunch of beers, uh, <laughs> looked around, realized how bad the, the city was, uh, listened to the news, saw how bad New Orleans was, and, uh, the power situation. So then you know, the next day, you know, we kind of pulled it together, started looking at options, started making phone calls. Anybody I knew uh, got a lead on a few, didn't work out, ended up um, getting in touch with an old high school friend. And uh, he was working for a company that would, would build and install uh, boat generators on uh, commercial boats. Mm. And they just so happened to have a shipment of trailers uh, of generators coming in uh, from uh uh, somewhere up north and uh just because they had the buying power and, and they had the the ability to get to, to source it and uh and he put my name on one of them which was i mean dumb dumb luck for, for sure pure luck and uh and just drove down there as soon as it met the truck uh fortunately i have a vehicle big enough to haul it so it's a 100 kw uh pretty large generator uh brought it home having no idea what we we're going to be able to run on this uh, next morning at the electrician, we got it wired into the building and, uh, and we were started firing everything up. So we were down long enough to, we lost one five barrel tank. Uh, one of our pilot tanks, uh, it was in pretty heavy fermentation. Fortunately, we, you know, we, we did the smart thing. We stopped brewing a couple days into it, knowing that we didn't want anything in active fermentation mm-hmm. uh, when it, when it hit. But, um, yeah, we were able to keep everything within spec, get it rolling, uh, get everything online. Once we got, once we got the chiller online, we got uh, controls online. Next thing was start getting coolers down. Uh, fortunately for us, one of our distributors was uh, kind enough to take everything out of our coolers the first oh, cool. day after. So we were able to unload all that into their cooler. They had cooler space and a generator. Um, so that was, that was definitely uh, appreciated that one. Um, but then got our, got our tap room running right away, which you know, everything was shut down. I mean, there was nowhere to go. Uh, there was nowhere to eat. Uh, so I called a buddy who has a food truck, got him at the brewery and, uh, his restaurant was shut down and both his restaurants were actually shut down. Um, so he was happy to, to be able to do something and work. 
Um, but he got the food truck running. We opened the tap room and I mean, it just, it was, it was just a really crazy amount of appreciation that people had somewhere all the, all the linesmen, all the, all the power workers were coming, eat, hang out. Uh, everybody in, in town would work, you know, maybe cutting trees all day and they'd come out and have a beer and we'd all talk and tell our stories about what happened to our houses and whatnot. So it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah, we needed the revenue. So it was like, you know, we were in survival mode. Like we need to get this tap room up and running because, you know, who knows when, when we'll be able to sell beer through distribution. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was drinking, but they weren't buying from the shelves because all the stores were closed. Right. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, we, uh, but then, you know, the, the, the bonus was just uh, the appreciation, um, you know, which I find kind of odd being in the brewing industry where, you know, I opened a business, which it's a for-profit business to make a living, but yet people still appreciate and thank us for doing this, which is, which is still wild. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, which I get it. I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do, but how cool is that, that I get to sell a product that people thank me for selling. Right. Uh, I got stopped yesterday at a festival, um, a Renaissance festival uh, or not yesterday, Sunday, by somebody I'd, I'd never even, never met before. And he said, Hey, you're Zach, right? He's like, man, I just, I just want to say, I appreciate, you know, the beer that y'all make and everything y'all do right there. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm just like, that's crazy. I got customers that actually thank me. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's rare in the world. I mean, thanks is rare in the world, but especially you can sell somebody a, <laughs> something you're passionate about making and then, and get a thank you. So that's, that's definitely right. something we're, it's a bonus for this, uh, for this in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say for in the past 10 years with all the, the breweries coming online, there definitely has been a movement to support local, drink local, drink just good ingredients. And, and that's what you guys are doing. You're creating products with that taste great. They're thoughtful. They're intentional. They are delicious. And it's, it's just good to know that the stuff you drank was made up the street or like 50 miles away versus somewhere yeah. out of the country or, <clears throat> or where, where have you? Yeah, no, I'm a big proponent for drinking local. Um, obviously it's what I do, but it's, it's, you know, it almost makes it, you know, hard to shop sometimes because you want to buy that local beer and you know that you go down the street and you buy it from that local brewery. It's going to taste at its peak. It's going to be fresh, or if it was sent, you know, in, if it's brewed in your in your neighborhood, in your in your uh, city, uh, you know that it's going to be at its peak most right. days, right? You know, so it's just it's an advantage that, that local breweries have, and it's something that it's it's hard to compete with the local brewery because they got you know they got the freshest beer, they got the most variety right here. You know, it's handled properly in most right. cases. Um, and so it's definitely, uh, and that's where the industry is going is to where more breweries and more localized and I'm all for it. I, I, I love eating at the local restaurants. I like knowing who's making my food. I like knowing, you know, that when I buy food at this restaurant, I know who that chef is and I know he just had a baby and good for him. Good for his family. I'm happy to to help support that. Right. That, That to me is, is really important. And I think if you feel that way, you know, you're going to get the most out of those places. And, and, you know, food and drink is, is, a, is an experience. And that's all part of the experience. Knowing where it came from, it's going to taste better. It's going to taste better. It's a mental, it's a, it's a whole experience. So that's, uh, you know, once again, just fortunate to be able to work in that industry and understand that. I agree. I agree completely. 
Talk to me about staffing. I know you guys are about an hour north of New Orleans. You would assume that New Orleans is just full of the service industry people and just a lot more densely populated than Hammond. But tell me, have you guys experienced the staffing, any staffing issues or what does it look like from where you're sitting? Yeah, I mean, staffing, it's something I think about a lot because we are, you know, we're 50 minutes uh, northeast, I mean, northwest of New Orleans. Um, We're about 50 minutes east of Baton Rouge. We're in a rural city, but we have basically the second biggest, uh, second largest uh, university here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, us and there's another, we're pretty much tied with another university, but, but, um, so we're in a unique place. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of people in this area also work in plants. So we're competing with service industry that in New Orleans and Baton Rouge to larger cities, which, you you know, if you're looking in the service industry, there's going to be more opportunities there. If you're looking to get into plant or those type of jobs, there's a lot of options you're going to have to drive, but, but there are a lot of other options, you know, so we find ourselves, I don't know if it's, sometimes it's a bonus, sometimes it's a negative because, you know, I can't afford to pay my forklift driver what I, you know, what Shell's going to pay their forklift driver, obviously, you know, but we, uh, we, you know, but we offer a whole different vibe, a whole different attitude, a whole different world, you know, culture. Yeah. uh, Culture. Um, So sometimes it's frustrating because, I wish there the revenues made sense for us to be able to compete with those large industry plants. Um, but at the same time, we're fortunate because we offer an escape from maybe a job that you've been doing for a long time. And, you know, your whole family does, well, you know what, I'm going to go work in the brewery and I'm going to have fun and enjoy it. And, you know, I mean, we, you know, we offer benefits, we offer retirement, health insurance, everything we possibly can. And we do our best, but you know, it's, it's, it's a very well-known thing in our industry that there's not as much money to go around as there are in some other industries. I think mid, mid-sized plant is basically where you put a small to small to mid-sized plant. That's where the revenues are the tightest. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, uh, service industry wise though, you know, we definitely have, you know, pretty good grasp on that. Um, but yeah, you're going to say something? What do you find more challenging, sourcing staff for the production or sur- uh, sourcing staff for the taproom? Man, um, I I would say it's pretty much equal. Um, weird thing is everybody who applies here wants to be a sales rep. That's like, we will oh, get really? Oh, everybody wants to sell the beer, right? They think, I think most people don't realize what actually goes into uh, the work, the, the back, oh, yeah. you know, the backside of it, you know, spreadsheets and all that stuff. They, they see, they've seen sales reps at bars and they just jolly, happy, you know, people talking about beer, drinking beer, uh, events, but they don't realize that they're working all day. Uh, and then they're, you know, working events at night too. So right. it's a demanding job, but that's, that's probably the easiest position to, to hire, uh, because everybody wants to be that person, you know? Um, but you know, it's it's kind of tough. Like I said, we you know you can go down the road and make a very. I mean, New Orleans is known for the service industry. It's mm-hmm. that's, that's people make a very good living in the service industry in in, in New Orleans, and there are uh, lifers there. There are people yeah. that dedicate their whole life to that. Oh man, and there's so many people that you walk in a bar and and they're just they're a famous you know mixologist right there. They've been making cocktails for 
30 years and they got massive respect and it's, it's definitely, it's a big deal, you know? So, um, that, that can be tough. We've been fortunate, you know, uh, we've definitely been fortunate up until recently. We have not had any issues with finding somebody maybe taking a little bit longer than we've wanted, but very recently it's, uh, it hasn't been the tap room, but the production side has definitely been a little bit of a struggle to fill some roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you could speculate about what that's about. Uh, I have no idea. I think it's a bunch of things is what's happening. Um, uh, uh, you know, not all bad, not all good. I think there's a lot of reasons why that's happening. Um, we're just trying to figure out how to get through it. We got a few interviews coming up, definitely entry level positions. Um, nobody wants to come here and start on the packaging line. Everybody wants to come be a brewer. Right. That's, you know, um, nobody walks in the brewery and says, how many people do you have on your packaging line? They all say, how many brewers do you have? You know? Right. So, so it's, it's, you know, um, that part of it is a bit challenging. It's like, Hey, you got to work yourself up way up. I have people that have been here for years and that's why they're in those positions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, we've heard of all industries are struggling with it right now and it's definitely starting to affect us some. Um, fortunately we have a lot of seasoned brewers, packaging, seller people, um, that have been able to pick up the slack. I mean, it's not sustainable, but you know, they, we cross train as much as possible. Um, I think we have a pretty dang good uh, program of cross training. So we have people that can brew, can package, seller, you know, fill kegs, whatever needs to be done yeah. can get done. And so we're able to, you know, to kind of move pretty fluently that way. But obviously it's not the best uh, environment. Um, fortunately, <laughs> we're slowing down a little bit. We went through a pretty busy, uh, busy season after, after the hurricane. The hurricane hit us pretty hard, but after the hurricane uh, kind of got sorted out, it's been pretty busy the last month or so. Yep. Uh, so we're getting a little bit of a break the last couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll actually have a nice easy holiday and then get back into it next, next year. Yep. You and I were talking about this yesterday in a phone call about Mardi Gras and, and wondering if that's going to go. And you said, as of now it is uh, a go, but yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, there's no indication that it won't happen. Um, I think. Has it been canceled for the last two years? Man, time. Let's see. 20. Yeah. 20. No, just last year. What, what year are we in? 2021. Oh, so, so 2020, the, everything kind of shut down right after Mardi Gras. Cause that's like February. Yeah, was Yeah. So we had Mardi Gras. It was a great one. And then uh, I think the next week is when, everything hit the fan here. It was, right. it was already kind of happening, but, um, you know, we were too busy in the, uh, in the spirit of Mardi Gras to, um, to even imagine that it was going to come to new Orleans. And, uh, yeah, so it was right after, um, I think it wasn't until March. Well, yeah, cause we had a late Mardi Gras. Yeah. So it was just a couple weeks after, maybe three weeks after they completely shut everything down here. In the yeah. St. Saint pa- Saint Patty's day week is the time that the whole world shut down. Yeah. Or the so, U.S. shut down. I'm not sure if other countries were shut down before. But that I remember that very clearly. St. Patty's Day week was the time it was like, no St. Patty's Day celebrations were done. And then 2021, there was no Mardi Gras. Right. And, that, and so basically all year, you know, the theme was, all right, look, if we could just get through this and then stay open, mo- most of the bars, restaurants, services, especially New Orleans, if we could just stay open to Mardi Gras, 
We'll get, we'll make a bunch of money back in Mardi Gras and we'll be rolling again. Well, then here comes Mardi Gras and, and there's no Mardi Gras. So that mm-hmm. was a huge blow. That was the first or second wave of blows to most business owners here is because they, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, legitimately a lot of places that survive because of Mardi Gras. They break even all year. They make a bunch of money during Mardi Gras and then they break even all year and that's how they do it. Um, uh, and that's in that. So that was a big blow when they said we're, we're shutting down. Um, obviously it had to happen. Uh, who knows mm-hmm. what would happen if it would have had it uh, at the time people weren't very happy, but uh, after that, then it was just an onslaught of every festival. Then we had two years of festivals shut down. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big blow. You know, it's those three weeks leading up to Mardi Gras. I mean, we, we make a lot of money. It's, it's a lot of beer that we send out. We put a lot of money in our pocket to make it through because we have a pretty rough summer here um, in South Louisiana. Our beer sales in the summer are dismal. Right. Uh, at best. So um, we, that's basically Mardi Gras is what kicks off our busy season. We, you know, we, we, we get, we get, what we can then, and then we, we just kind of bear down through the summer. So not having that was, was a pretty, it was big for us. It was big for the bars, the restaurants, um, I think at this point, um, don't quote me on the exact numbers, but our New Orleans distributor is still down 50% of their draft accounts from 2019. Wow. They are selling, they are 50% less. So half the number of draft accounts open currently that are receiving uh, shipments than there were on-premise actually, not just draft accounts. Sorry. I, I, I sometimes say that, but on-premise at, at all. So cans, bottles, whatever. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's huge. Half of the city is basically still shut down, which is, which is massive. Um, sometimes it's hard to believe because we are selling a good amount of beer and we're moving beer and, and, uh, and we're, we're seeing the city come back to life. But I mean, it, it's when you really look at it that way, it's like, man, that's, that's a pretty big hit. You know, it's not something you feel as much as at the end of the day was, you know, in years to come, when are we, how long is it going to take to get back to that level? Right. What's your outlook on 2022? I'm making no <laughs> guesstimates or assumptions. I'm just going to, I saw the beam the other day. It was like, look, just quietly, no announcing what you're going to do in 2022. Just quietly walk in, you know, and get shit done. And, <laughs> and behave. Yeah. But, uh, I think, I think we're good. I mean, it seems like we're moving in the right direction. I think we're going to have a, you know, barring any other wild, we, fortunately we usually get a, <laughs> at least 10 years between major hurricanes. Uh, I know that's complete random, but I'm just going to go with that. And then, uh, if COVID, you know, uh, it seems like we're on the right path. Um, it's not perfect, but I mean, it seems like we're on the right path as a country. Uh, just going to hope that, continues um i think that is going to be weird um for breweries i think that this i I really can't tell you what but i think that definitely having uh, some breweries have been hurt um we're now louisiana is now the number one state for brewery closures uh oh really yeah i was in the guild i don't know the exact numbers but i were the guild was presenting some things to some legislators and we have the second least breweries per capita uh, in the country, and we are the number one for brewery closures. Um, so that's that's not good. Good numbers. Come on, Louisiana, we got to get we got to get through it. 
Well, there's still some pretty archaic laws, and that's a whole other conversation that you know we're pushing for. And I think there's some positive movement. We finally have some legislators on our side that are like, I get it. We need to do something about this industry. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be positive. Um, but I think the, the 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 recent woes have hurt the ones that were struggling more. You know, and I saw. So I hope this doesn't create more closures in the next year or so to where we see any kind of consolidation of Louisiana beer. That is not ideal. Um, you know, uh, we want, we want to grow the industry. Do you follow the direct to consumer laws at all in Louisiana, Alabama, anything like that? Do I follow them? Yeah. Do you, do you, is there any push to open up direct to consumer? Several different avenues, you know, as far as, uh, allowing self-distribution, allowing shipping mm-hmm. to consumers. So shipping, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all, these are all the top of the list. There's probably five big things that the guild's gone for. Um, and, you know, pretty much it, it's it's all about allowing the breweries to handle their products more um, when the distributors don't want to. Uh, I think yeah. we're finally, uh, at a point to where the distributors don't want to carry all the beers anymore. Right. They don't want to carry all the breweries anymore. So um, it makes sense uh, for everybody to agree on that. Um, but, you know, you know how these things work. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time to figure out what makes everyone happy and, and get these things passed. But I think it helps out everybody. I think it helps out the distributed brewery because the distributors can focus on the brands that they want to focus on. That makes sense for the distributor. The, the breweries that want to self-distribute can do their own thing and focus right. on what they want to do. So I, I think it's a benefit for everybody. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, ways it's been done for a long time. So it takes, it takes a lot to change minds. Yeah. I was talking to Paul from great notion last week and he mentioned something, you know, great notion is doing a ton of direct to consumer. They're, they're on top of all the state laws and what, what is allowed to be shipped into the state and not, and he said something. He, I think he said Alabama is going to allow start uh, start to allow shipments into the state. And I, I was kind of floored by that because pretty close to Alabama. I mean, the whole southern southeast is pretty ass backwards when it comes to distribution, direct to consumer, self distro. It's just I'm not. I'm just not sure what happened in the southeast versus other parts of the country. It's just very constricting for smaller breweries. Yeah, you know, what's what's I think the biggest thing that just kind of point to be made or whatever is that you can, in Louisiana, I can buy directly shipped from other breweries and have it delivered to my house, but a brewery down the street can't ship it to me. So I think that right there, well, why are we letting out-of-state breweries ship in? And we don't have a problem with that, but we're not letting our own breweries ship through the consumer. Right. That, like, that just seems like, all right, that's an easy one to solve. Like, if you're going to, I mean, obviously, I believe the shipping direct consumer should be allowed. But if you're not going to allow us to do it, why are you allowing out-of-state breweries to do it? You know, right? Um, so there's that. It's just, it's just, it takes so much time to get anything done. I think what happens a lot of these things we we work towards and work towards, and then hit so many roadblocks that you know you just I don't know you just lose you lose steam, um, and people get in and out of office, and you know. It uh so yeah, there's a lot of push for that. Um, it's been met with a lot of opposition, you know. But I think we just got to keep pushing forward and and get some of these things 
fair, you know, corrected in a fair way. And I uh, think it will just help commerce as a whole. Right. Yeah, because I was talking to a number of people about it. If every craft brewery was allowed to ship direct to consumer tomorrow in their states, the needle wouldn't move. Oh, no. I mean, it wouldn't even move, man. It would it, it would be such a, a minimal. So this imposed control of self-distro or not allowing direct to consumer is just petty and insane. Yeah, I mean, and it, but, it, but again, it would help the ones that are the smaller breweries that are right. either, either have a startup plan and then a larger plan or, you know, breweries that want to stay in that thousand barrel, you know, range 2000 barrel range and that's their model i mean it helps but it doesn't hurt the large right so it's not like it's taken a massive amount of sales from anybody who's currently has the right to sell those products i mean it it really just i think it helps the people that it makes sense to help and it doesn't hurt anybody Um, right but it's 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 just common sense to me but uh not everybody feels that way right totally all right, buddy, let's wrap this puppy up. Where can we learn more about Gnarly Barley? Uh, social media. <laughs> my, my least favorite part, advert marketing. Um, yeah. not, I, uh, I turn wrenches. Um, so uh, oh, gnarly so here's, a, here's a better question. If someone's visiting New Orleans, why should they make the 50-minute drive to Hammond to visit Gnarly Barley? Ooh, look at that. Little sales pitch here. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, we, we do. It's, it's uh one. Sell the one, local pizzeria. Sell the local pizzeria. <laughs> one thing we got going on, which is pretty, pretty righteous is that we are on the interstate system and uh, mm-hmm. they, they call it the crossroads here. We got a, a interstate going north and south and we got one going uh, east and west. So, um, so we, we're, we're right off the interstate, which is great. A lot of people traveling through, we get a lot of that um, traveling through town, um, yeah, you know, one reason to make the drive uh, north from New Orleans is the the drive is beautiful. It's 100% basically swamp. You are driving above the swamp uh, on a, yeah. a spillway bridge. It's pretty, pretty. I mean, if you can catch it at sunset, it's pretty amazing. Um, but uh, you're basically driving through the camps, the, the swamp. Uh, there's some lakes that you pass through. It's pretty, pretty nice scenery. Um, and uh, man, I mean, look. I love the beers that we make. You're going to, you know, not come out here and just get a certain style beer. We, we brew pretty much the gauntlet. We like to focus on traditional styles. Um, we brew a lot of stuff like we heavy and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, some of those beer styles that have been slightly, uh, looked marginalized i guess they're mm-hmm. not you know they're not they're not heavily fruited all the time they're not you know super sour uh it's not only big ipas we basically you're going to come you're going to see 16 taps and we have something for everybody we do fruited sours we do big ipas but i like that we do stick to uh traditional beer styles in a, in a lot of ways and that's one thing that people appreciate when they come here that it's not a bunch of only high velocity beers it's the ones that you want to just sit down and enjoy and think about when you were drinking beer 10 years ago when you got into it. Right. Yep. So, uh, but no, man, it's cool. It's a good atmosphere. You know, we got food on site most days. It's uh, family friendly, dog friendly. Um, and most likely you're going to have to listen to me yap about how much I love this place and, uh, and probably buy you a free beer if you find me. 
So uh, that's why you should for the free beer. <laughs> I visited Hammond, I don't know, maybe five times now, and I enjoy the city. It's it's certainly is a it's got a small town feel. You got great restaurants, you got your brewery. Are you the only brewery in Hammond? So there's a small brewery, uh not in city limits, but in, in the area, uh Low Road Brewing Company, named after actually Low Road is the original highway that ran through the swamp to New Orleans. Uh, but then they had, they had to build a higher uh, a bridge, but um, but yeah, so you know they've been going at it. They took <laughs> so the the new owners bought it literally right before COVID. So it's been uh, a heck of a, a heck of a first couple of years for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, but they're great. Um, yeah, no, it, it, the city is fun. You know, we have we, it's it's you can park downtown by the, the railroad tracks and just kind of walk around, mosey around, hit a few bars. Uh, a lot of live music outside, a lot of, you know, a lot of good sounds and night, uh, college kids, uh, getting in your way a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of cool stuff to do. And, and heck you can take the train, uh, at least pretty much daily and head all the way to Chicago. So you can, uh, you can really? take a nice train ride. Yeah. It goes, you can, it, it goes through New Orleans. A lot of people literally hop on the train and take it to New Orleans, but it goes straight up directly to Chicago and back. Um, a lot of people, uh, hop on that. It's kind of a cool thing. I mean, people don't really ride. Is it Amtrak? Yep. yep. What's the, what's the what's the travel time? Oh man, uh, my wife's told me so many times, but uh, it's got to be a day. I've done it. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's a bar car, right? Yeah. <laughs> Drink some beers and, uh, and arrive when you arrive. Right, right, right. So. That's funny, man. All right, dude. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I've been trying to get you on here for so long. Yeah, you know, I don't like talking. Was it pain? Was it painful or painless? No, it was pretty good. It, look, once I get going, uh, I probably talk too much. It's just, you know, getting me to sit behind the computer and uh, and agree to it is is a little tough. But I, I appreciate this is fun. Definitely, uh, always good talking to you. I know you're super busy. I know you're crushing it over there. We were talking yesterday about where y'all have come. It's been cool to see y'all grow. You know, and uh, yep. I was thinking about that yesterday. It's I think uh, how 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 long you've been in business? Ten years. Ten years. October first so was ten years. We uh, Charles over at another brewery, you know, introduced us, um, gave me your, your information eight uh, seven years ago, six years. Yeah, ago. at Tin Roof. And then it took me a while to finally make the phone call, but it's uh, we appreciate what you guys have done for us. It's been uh, taking a lot of burden off of us. Not uh, you know, like I said before, I'm uh, better at turning wrenches than calculating numbers so um you allow me to turn more wrenches dude we got you we got your back man i appreciate that i thank you for the kind words and and uh yeah we're gonna keep doing what we're doing definitely you do the same yeah i'll i'll do the same let's see this this is weird i haven't i haven't been able to run a business in a normal environment in two years so hopefully i'll remember how to do that (laughs) and not how to just panic and try to fix problems (laughs) You'll be fine, man. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks, man. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Craft Podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. The show is produced by Josh Barnhart and sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, 
and growth consulting. Visit SB Standard today to learn more and request a discovery call with the team. Peace out.